It's the Rugby World Cup final preview show. It's New Zealand versus Australia. And a lot of people predicted that, but like at least one person in this room thought Ireland might be in the final, and that's Alan Deegan. I did indeed. And after watching last weekend, it's just a pity it didn't rain a week before. <laughs> that's, come on. It wasn't just rain that stopped us. William, it's amazing how, though, we were talking on a podcast a few weekends on our sister show. Sister show, I like it. Craig Island Rugby, all around Connacht Rugby. Oh, we're mm. going to record that here a bit later too, so you can listen to that in your feed too. But we were talking about the fact that, oh, what if Ireland during the World Cup final, same day Connacht playing Edinburgh, what a disaster. We all kind of in the back of our minds thought there's a real possibility. And we now feel a bit foolish because we seem so far away from a World Cup final, don't we? No, I don't feel foolish. Oh, that, okay. It's sport. I do. You win, you lose, you play. That's what it's all about. Uh, Scotland were a line out away from the semi-finals if they'd done it properly. They'd have beaten Argentina yesterday, in my view. They'd have been in a World Cup final. Think about that. Dear anyone who listens from Scotland, could you please just play that back for a second and listen to what he said. One decent line out away. Shut up about the referee. If you get the line out right, you're in the World Cup semi-finals. Dave Finn, welcome along. Uh, good evening, sir. How about thou? Um, interesting weekends of rugby. Uh, sublime, ridiculous. No, just sublime and ridiculous all weekend as best. <laughs> and, and, and it has to be said from Argentina, pretty stupid at times. Like, they're just stupid. Trying to run the ball from your own 22 against... You know the most parsimonious defence in the bloody in the league. You just can't, or in the cup, you can't, you can't do that and expect to win a game. Yeah, what do you think of Argentina's? Well, they were. It, it was. It, it was like a repeat of Ireland's performance. Now they get very emotional at the anthem. There's a lot of tears and all the rest of it. And that's it's fine. That big musical intro. intro you know, it pro- probably is, but the problem is they then went to sleep for 15 minutes, and Australia strolled into a lead that they. Without any problem, you you can't do that in any sport, and we sh- we showed what happens to us. Same thing happened to Argentina in this game, and they you're chasing the game then, and that's when you start doing the silly things because the the pressure mounts. I know your point, but just point of clarification: Ireland's call didn't do that to us. There's no question. No, and they also had Maradona in the dressing room beforehand, so that obviously had an impact. <laughs> yeah, Maradona was. I mean, Maradona is someone who he's iconic, and it's also that, that there were go, there was go, it was the country was behind him. He was crossing generations, but it doesn't matter how good and how how much emotion you have behind it. You've still got to not do stupid stuff. And we see in the first minute you throw an inside pass to somebody who doesn't know it's there, and everybody can see it's coming. And Rob Simmons, who would probably be the slowest of the Australians, can stroll over the line. You then have a situation which has happened in all the games where the winger doesn't trust the, the outside centre, comes in, and Ashley Cooper strolls in. You then get a situation again where they get all pulled over to one side, and Ashley Cooper goes off the other side and goes in the third time. Now, I've seen enough people complain and say, oh, the fourth try, it bounced forward. Ask yourself the question If you're complaining about the four try bouncing forward You've already conceded three tries And you're in a bit of a hole Now they did play some lovely rugby But they kept And they got back within seven And they were pounding the Australian scrum The Australian scrum was as bad as I've seen it in in a long time They got back in together And then what would happen is They would take the kick off They'd run straight at Scott Faraday And he'd go I can't believe you're doing this again And he'd rip the ball off them And they'd concede a penalty So this came from a chat with a friend of mine who watches a lot of Southern Hemisphere rugby and he said Argentina haven't got a prayer because the, the Australians will just be too cute. And they were. Every single kick-off they kicked to the little winger. Every one of them, knowing that he wouldn't kick it and he'd try and run out of the fence. And that's where the issues came from on Argentina. 
And what Toland was pointing out, Toland was pointing out the Australians. The Australians were picking, were kicking towards Mike Cooper. No, you, as Anne said, they were kicking to the winger who would then run at Mike Cooper. Mike Cooper would hold him up, and Fardy would take the ball off him. They did it three times when they got back to seven points in the second half, and it was they gave away three penalties immediately. It was smart. It was cuteurism. It was cuteur rugby, and Australians are cuteurs, and Argentinians aren't there yet. Yeah, but it, that, that, when I was growing up. We were taught, even as under-14s and under-13s and under-12s, you find the weakest link on the opposition team and you pound it. And you don't change. You never change anything until the opposition do something about that. And Argentina never did. So you, they found, you know, Australia found the weakest link and they pounded away at it and Argentina didn't want about it. I started to realise what happened to my, my rugby career why it ended so quickly. <laughs> Anyways, William. Yeah, it was... It was probably the outcome we expected, but I, I thought Argentina would be a bit more fired up. They, they, both sides at times in the game looked very, very tired. That was game six in a row. They've been in camp for months. It, both semi-finals were qu- quite disappointing games in, in some Weren't way. they? I'm so disappointed. Especially that first one on Saturday, but like, well, maybe well, we should well, stay on topic. <clears throat> well, the problem is that that's not how it's been spun today and what is being spun. Be careful, Sorry, the Chris are killing me there. <laughs> don't, choke on your, don't choke on your Dorito there, Rob. Um, both games are being spun now by the media and Argentina aren't quite ready and it's the final we all wanted and it's the final they all... Apparently it's the final everybody expected, which is a bit strange because if you go back to the predictions a few weeks ago, that wasn't the final that everybody thought was going to happen at all, but it is now. Um, so I just hope the final's a better game. I think semi-finals in all sports can be a little bit problematic. Um, there's too much to lose. You get to, this, you get to this stage of competition and if whoever sneezes loses. Um, you're afraid of being the guys who made the mistake. It was quite... There was much more of an... Uh, of uh, a chance to make a mistake in yesterday because people were prepared to go for it, and there was a, a bit more of a, a bit more of a joie de vivre atmosphere to this yesterday. Is the Australian game, yeah. absolutely. Um, certainly, Saturday was very much a case of we are not making a mistake, and which meant that everybody made mistakes because they were so. It was you could you could metaphorically and literally see sphincters tightening and being afraid to do the wrong thing, and that was problematic. Yesterday it was a case of the Argentinians. Wasn't the Argentinians were so much afraid of doing the wrong thing, it's that they didn't react to doing it once because they went and did it a second time. And Australia, and I, come, I say it again, Q tourism. Australia spotted that there was a certain certain frailties and certain things that Argentina were going to do again and again and again, and they fixed them. Whereas Argentina couldn't expose the one thing Australia couldn't do, which was a scrummage. That's what good teams do. It's all about picking away at, at, at the weak spot. And Argentina didn't react at any stage yesterday. And if you're talking about the other game, South Africa just kept doing what they do. Now, they might well have won that game, but they didn't really change their game plan either. Yeah, if you listen, it was one of the few things Stuart Barnes was brilliant about because Conor McNamara says, oh, and the Argentinians are throwing the ball. This is fantastic rugby. And Barnes went, no, it's not. It's just stupid. <laughs> no way. Oh, beautiful. I missed that. That was great. <laughs> it was very good because he was right because they were trying to play rugby out from their own 22. And I suppose, you know, I was, I was looking at going, why, why didn't they do that against us? And we, did, we hammered them. But actually, they did it against us and we didn't hammer them. And, you know, this, this was the problem that... You looked at both weekend. You looked at both games over the weekend and thought they're not doing anything that we sh- we shouldn't be able to compete with in the northern hemisphere. Or actually, and I'll get this right: not the northern hemisphere in the Six Nations, because there are other teams in the northern hemisphere who are you know playing rugby up here as well. Japan um, being Japan. northern hemisphere yeah, being yeah. team, yeah. Um, so look, the Six Nations team should have been able to handle anything they did, but they obviously do it at a smidgen faster pace, which 
puts our guys in some sort of trouble and it's something we need to work on. Yeah, Alan's stat last week, what was it, 7-0 to the Northern Hemisphere over the Six Nations, but or Southern Hemisphere over the Six Nations, 7-0 for uh, Southern Hemisphere versus Northern Hemisphere at 7-1. Go on the Japanese. Hey, listen, back to the South Africa game, day first. Uh, You know, one of my big issues was watching how good South Africa were down at the breakdown. They must have done about six or seven turnovers. But it got to the stage, I thought, and the lads, you can jump in on this wherever Dave takes it, I thought the New Zealanders nearly just didn't care about being turned over at the breakdown because it didn't matter. Balls kicked to touch. South Africa couldn't win lineouts if they had the ball. And when they didn't have the ball, it was just coming straight back at them. It was ridiculous. I've never seen, seen a team so brilliant without the ball and so desperately desperately one-dimensional with it. There's no logic to it. You could, it was, they get within three points at the end because New Zealand have done it, had a bit more... I don't know, devilment to them. Because Car- I thought Carter was in no position to take the drop goal. I thought he switched the ro- I thought he switched feet to get onto his le- stronger left foot. And it was oh, a brilliant drop, yeah. wonderful drop goal. The second try is a little bit of cute tourism as well. The first try, well, more set of forward pass. But again, it's a bit more something. But, was, but you, everybody knew that when it got to two points after the last penalty, that they were going to go for a drop goal. Everybody, and we, everybody was telegraphed for for the ten minutes we're trying to do it. So all they, all New Zealand knew, right, we have to make sure they can't get in a position to drop goal. And what happens is they did a beautiful drive from one line out. They then screwed up because Aaron Smith made a, made a, one of his few mistakes in the tournament. And then probably the under, or most underrated player in New Zealand at the moment is Sam Whitelock. Sam Whitelock's the only New Zealand to start every single game. And he gets up and he tips away from Matfield because they were always going to Matfield. But if they didn't go to Matfield on the one on one side of the pitch, they were going to go to Matfield on one or the other. And why was that? Because they wanted to set up position so that Pat Lambie could go back and kick the drop goal because they know that Pat Lambie can save them from 70 yards down on the high veld. It was so predictable. They went in, they were death by process again. They had one thing, to, they, had one, they were only going to win one way and they stuck to it. And that was the bloody problem. The irony of the fact that the team they beat in the previous round did the same thing. That's the way they are. That's the type of rugby they play. Is it better that they lost? I know how Alan feels on this, and do take it up on that. Why you think that, Alan? But William, do you think it's better that South Africa lost that game in the end for rugby? No, I don't believe in that stuff. You you win. Whoever wins wins. I can agree with you. You get the most points, and that's it. If you want to get into the argument as to why they lost. They got ripped off by a TMO decision on a penalty, which was totally wrong. Describe. South Africa had been awarded a penalty. And one of the issues in rugby now is when that happens in an advantage situation, they played on for 15 seconds. And then the out half kicked the ball away. Mm-hmm. He's just about to line up the penalty. Mm-hmm. And the TMO gets on to the referee and says, I want you to look at something. In the advantage phase. In the advantage phase. And Victor Matfield is done for a neck tackle. Mm-hmm. Now, he didn't have him by the neck. He had him up around his shoulders and he turned him round. Mm-hmm. The referee was standing three metres away from that, maybe less, in live play. They showed it in slow motion. They showed it in fast motion. And the referee didn't seem to want to give a penalty, but eventually said to the TMO, is that a a, a penalty? And he said yes. And he said, right, penalty, I'm reversing the decision. Now, they didn't make much of it, but that would actually... uh, He would have... I'm certain he would have kicked... Well, I think he would have kicked the penalty. But that was a, a TMO intervention... Wrong, wrong way done, and the referee handled it the wrong way as well. Yeah, yeah, I, it, it was one of the strange. It was a bit like the, the TMO decision. The TMO trying to stop Wayne Barnes from yellow carding the Argentinian. The yeah, it was the other way around. Yeah, the, the TMO was trying to do to stop Wayne Barnes. No, from. He was trying to tell him to. Barnes said, "I think I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt 
on that. And the TMO said, look at it again at full pace. He looked at it at full pace and he changed his mind. But it was actually the TMO. Barnes was doing his level best not to yellow card him. Oh, I, all right, I misunderstood him because I think it was right to yellow card it. It, it, it probably was because if you, what, the, what the TMO was saying but didn't explain, I think, was he came from a very long distance back. So he was going at full tilt. It wasn't, he didn't arrive at the situation and mistime it. He actually came from another parish. Yeah, you, you could see the intent. The intent yeah. was there was just to chop this man down no matter what he did. And, and it's, it's sort of a bit of a rant that I wanted to do last week and it just couldn't come to me last week, this idea of the chop tackle. Chop tackle is... If it's done properly, it's just a normal tackle tackling by the legs. This idea that it's a chop tackle. To me, what the, what the Argentinian guy did was a chop tackle, which is just diving under the legs of a guy running forward. That's a chop. That's illegal. To me, a chop tackle is illegal. A proper tackle is you dive at the guy's legs, you wrap your legs, your arms around him, and you knock him down. We were talking about this today. What, what did you say? Like, like it's, rugby isn't about bringing a guy down. It's about tackling. Tackling, yeah, absolutely. You're, you know, yeah. you're not just trying to tumble a guy down. No, no, you just run into someone and knock them over. Now, having said that, you can sort of push a guy into touch and you use you the, the touch like line that. as well. But a great example of that is that Uruguay game against, uh, I've forgotten mm. who it was against, who was it against that they gave the, yellow, the double yellow card against, was it Fiji. Fiji, thank you. Uruguay against Fiji, first yellow card, a lot of people disagree with it because they got the try, but he dived in and his arms were never even close to me now and he just went right across his path and chopped him off. And people thought, yeah, but if he had his arms out, it would, what, what difference does it make? It makes a huge difference. It does because it's the intent. Yeah, it's all he about torpedoed him. into him to try and yeah. just put and himself was, in the way. And it was the same in the last World Cup. Everyone bitched them on about the Welsh captain getting sent and to the sin bin, yeah. warbling for the, the thing. But that tackle almost disappeared out of rugby, almost straight away. Mm-hmm. And hopefully now this idea of just diving at the legs of someone without using your arms is going to disappear because that's what the highest level is about, showing how the game should be played and how the lies should be, uh, should be applied, and that's the right way to do it. Well, do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that's how you make law changes or or referees have to interpret things. But going back to the other situation, this TMO area has to be tightened up. They're they're coming in and what, what really frustrates me is the referee never really seems to disagree with them. And actually say, yeah. No, I've looked at it and I don't Apart from Nigel, of course. Yeah. Well uh, in other words, I've told his favourite person on the planet. Yeah. I've looked at it and uh, I don't agree with you. I'm sticking with my original decision. They seem to not want to embarrass the TMO, so they kind of either half agree with him, fully agree with him, or move their decision and they they come to a the compromise. Uh, sport laws really aren't about compromise. They should really be yes or no. I think it's, it's drifting down. I mean, there was some decisions in the, in the Pro 12 this, this week are, are entirely based on the fact that you don't disagree with the TMO, even though the TMO is wrong. I, I thought some of the decisions seem to be done on the roll of a dice. I agree with the guys in almost all of this. I, I actually agree with them. Um, the Matfield one, I totally agree with him. I think I, that was a strange call. Um, can I just clarify? And sorry, Dave, if you can hold your train of thought. When just clarify, if Matfield had incre- had got his hand around the neck, are you happy enough with him reversing the penalty in that scenario? Is is it a, an offence that warrants a reverse of a penalty? I, I'm I'm not sure that it does. I'm not sure either. In, in that instance, because it wasn't it wasn't done. The difficulty is when you go into this uh, advantage area. Mm. There is no real, unless you spike the ball, unless you start using the NFL system of just throwing the ball into mm. the ground, teams play on. But it was obvious that South Africa were going to take the penalty. So why 
didn't South Africa just stop it? But this this muck rook mall area went on for a bit to no affecting purpose. But the TMO, but the thing that really got to me was the fact the referee was standing on top of this, and he didn't seem interested. George Gregan was the master of just dropping the ball and and, and taking his penalty. I haven't seen players do it for quite a while since then. Uh, sorry, Dave, back to your point. Well, I, th- I think it's right. I think what has come about. I think it all weirdly enough. I think the rule changed, or at least they were told to check about that rule, like grabbing and twisting. Had nothing to do with next. I think it had to do with John de Villiers' knee. Uh, when he was grabbing, he was pulled and, and his knee went. Um, if Matfield had caught him around the neck, I think there was a case for a penalty. But he didn't. Yeah. He caught him under the arm. Now, the problem was we only saw it from one angle. So maybe on the other angle, his hand, his hand had drifted down. We don't know. We never saw. All we can go is on what we saw. And he did appear to grab him around the shoulders. And he, what was more important is that we've seen it on occasions when someone has been clearly grabbed around the neck. And again, I'll go back when we, when we do the comment podcast. I'm going to rant about, about neck tackles and TMOs. Um, but the main prime example I know of, a player knows when he's been grabbed around the neck and is hurt. And John Muldoon did it against Glasgow. said, I've been grabbed around the neck. Take a look at that. And he took a look at it and the penalty was given. Joe Moody, who I think was the guy, it was either Joe Moody or White Rocket, was grabbed. There's no word from The guys know themselves they're not being, they're not in, it's, it's fair enough. So we're still in a situation where maybe if referees say, if somebody goes, TMOs are now predicting problems, and yet players know themselves when they've been hurt. Players know themselves when they've done something wrong. I mean, the comic one, I'm just, in the comic podcast, because I'm just going to go off on one about, about that. But in terms of, what we saw there, I still come back to, I still think New Zealand, New Zealand would have found a way to win. And I think that South Africa would still have found a way to lose because they were stuck in a mindset. They had to go for the drop goal. They had to go for kicks. There was absolutely no attacking intent. And that is the coach. That has to come back to the coach. And what we're seeing with the other three teams is coaches prepared to compromise every now and again. Now, Steve Hansen's a doer chappy, but I reckon he knows how to get the best out. He, he can change things up. Just thinking about the camera position on Steve Hansen during that game, it was positioned to highlight how doer he is. I, I just think Steve Right Hansen, underneath Steve, his chin. Steve Hansen is probably he's one of the... I've heard stories that he's one hell of a guy to go out on the beer with. <laughs> but you'd never take it from his face. But he knows how to, he knows how to change things up. And they changed to play South Africa. They're at, New Zealand's was worst attacking performance because they went on the principle that New Zealand's uh, South Africa would charge up close to the line and they could kick him behind. But this New Zealand just can't kick. At least can't grubber kick. And they got them all wrong. But they were at least trying something different for the opposition. South Africa got into mindset, this is how we're going to win. This is how we're going to stop them from winning. But then we win with our way. And their way didn't work. Yeah, OK, on that. And maybe just, just moving on a little bit as well. You believe it's better for rugby than New Zealand win this game. Williams disagreed about 10 minutes ago in this podcast. I want to get back to that point. Yeah, I'd look at it at the fact that, you know, every four-year cycle, the laws sort of move on and the game rotates. And it, it, whoever is the world champion dictates how the game is going to be played. You only have to look at what Toulouse are doing now. The ball slimmed down again. And Toulouse are back playing the rugby they used to play it 10 or 15 years ago. And they're running the ball, they're coming in at angles, they're, they're playing the ball at speed, which is what New Zealand have brought back to it. If South Africa win it, you're, you end up with a game of monsters. And everyone thinks you have to be a monster to, to play the game. If New Zealand win it, they play the game by, by moving the ball around, by playing, playing a lot of rugby and, and playing the rugby the way it should be played in my eyes, which is, you know, you have the power up front and you, you, you use it to create brilliant opportunities in the back. 
But where William and maybe I am coming from, and I go to you on this, Dave, get your opinion on it, are, are, is that sport is sport. It's it, it's a chess game at times. Defence dominates in certain sports at times. Then attack comes back and dominates. Exactly how Alan's detailing what's happening with New Zealand and Toulouse. But ultimately, New Zealand and Toulouse have to prove that that system works before the teams will follow them. They have to lead the way. And if South Africa find a way to legitimately win a game playing the way they are, more power do them is my attitude. I think... It doesn't hurt. I, th- I, th- I think we are not going to go back to their monsters. I think that's going. I think someone like Winnie Antonio, his day is done. He's not. You're not going to get a 24 stone tie anymore. I think. What, I think we are being a little harsh on South Africa in one respect is that they have two of the most athletic second rows going um, in Diego and Etzebet, yeah. and they have two. Fanta- really love watching Lowe play rugby at six. What a performance the last. Francois Lowe is fantastic, and he's Brilliant. not particular. They always have one. 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 Not their back row is not. They're starting back row. Berger's not particularly huge. Lowe is not huge. But the guys they bring on are much bigger. I think where they are, where, where and this is this is the issue, which I'll come back to again, I think it's where Alan raises a fair point, is that it's the mentality of the coach. We can, Steve Hansen has them playing quick. No, Steve Hansen, uh, Steve Hansen has them playing well. Cheka has them well. Bringing Graham Henry, bringing Graham Henry in to Argentina has them playing a different type of rugby. It, co- other coaches may follow the coaching style. But what you have to remember as well, if Australia win, it's a testament that that you can you need to have a scrum. It doesn't have to be the best scrum in the world. You need to have someone who can teach not particularly good scrummagers how to scrummage functionally, and then you can have someone like Cheka doing that. And that's what you're going to have. You can't. You're not going to get rid of the monsters because ultimately the greatest penalty generating machine in this World Cup has been the scrum, and that is all about monsters. The scrummage is about technique, not about monsters, and the uh, and the Japanese showed that. They were giving away something along the lines of 10 kilograms a man against South Africa, yet managed never to give a penalty away in the scrum. The point about Steve Hansen and Graham Henry is they've both coached Wales. Mm-hmm. And the type, the type of rugby they had Wales <laughs> playing... That there on its own, really. But anyway, yeah. they, the type of rugby they had Wales playing was nothing like the type of rugby that New Zealand tried to play. Mm-hmm. And if Joe Schmidt had come along tonight unfortunately I don't don't know if he answered our our request I heard Roxy barking earlier she might have scared him (laughs) off anyways Um, I would love to ask I'd say look straight question for you is the problem that when you get players coming into the Ireland camp you have to adapt to what they're capable of or do you want to change them or do you not? Do you have time to change them, or are they so set in their ways, even at twenty or twenty-one or twenty-two, that there's no possibility of actually getting them to play a different type of game? Because I think he's adapted to a more Irish type of rugby, and that's what Graham Henry did when he had Wales. The, the Wales didn't offload a ball at any stage on that. How many offloads? How many offloads were there on Saturday? Well. Okay, we're on the offload argument. I'm just talking about the skill sets of fast passing and stuff like Fixing that. Fixing defenders, which is important. That's a different thing, but everyone goes on about the offloads. There was four offloads. Four in the whole game, there was four. Why? Because the weather dictated it. Well then, but that argument doesn't wash for people when they were told that. They say, oh, that doesn't matter. This is the way New Zealand play. The Six Nations is rubbish. Get rid of it. Cancel it. There's... The coaches that we have, Scotland are coached by... We just have promotion relegation between the rugby championships and the Six Nations. We're, we're up, Argentina down. Well, it was argued that the fifth and sixth playoff in the World Cup is called the Six Nations. 
Um, <laughs> which may be a bit harsh, but also is a ring of truth in it. But the question is, Scotland are coached by a New Zealander. Uh, we've got a New Zealander coaching us. Wales have had New Zealanders almost... Well, they did have a Welsh guy for a while and he got lacerated. So you've... but. Do they adapt, or do they want? Do they say, right, these guys can only play the European way, or do they have? Do they want to change them? Because that's what's going to become the discussion point now moving forward. I think the weather issue is a complete red herring. Oh, oh I think the weather issue is a massive oh. red herring because it rains in New Zealand. It, it rains in New Zealand. It, and, it, and guess what? It's sometimes dry here. And I'll tell you one place where it's very dry, the south of France. If this was a rugby <laughs> game, you're kicking into the area of the field where Alan is at his strongest. That comment is just about to be hit back down towards you. Coaching on Wednesday in the school, it's lashing out of the heavens and it's cold. You cannot in any way, shape or form do any skill session apart from rucking and mauling in a day like that. And that happens more often than not. Yes, it rains in New Zealand. But New Zealand, if you take New Zealand and ported it over to Europe, the southernmost tip of New Zealand would be almost at the same level as Paris. The, our Auckland, Auckland is in the tropics. You know, they, it is not the same. They, we are much higher up in the, in the latitudes, which means we do get colder weather and wetter weather. Having said that, having said that, with the way the global warming is going... <laughs> <laughs> You heard it here, folks. Global warming is the solution to European rugby's problem. We just have to wait for the ice caps to melt and we're going to win a World Cup or at least make a semi-final. Okay, all right. To be on a little bit more serious note, if you look at the quality of the pitches that are being played on these days, that you know, modern technology has meant that we play on one of the best pitches in Connacht all year round now at this stage. It doesn't matter what the weather is, which means there's no reason why you can't be playing on decent pitches all the time. And you play more stuff in... Do, do your, your training on the skill stuff indoors. There's no reason why that can't be done indoors. And then you can get at the same level. 4G pitches are huge as well. I come back to I'm, I'm, I'm not dissing with Alan. I'm certainly in the west of Ireland and... and yeah, and back to your point. And, you disagree and, with and, the weather. And Scotland. In Ireland and Scotland, the weather dictates that we do we rock, rock and mauling. But I would say, therefore, irrespective of the quality of player you'd expect in Italy, Italy is quite warm. You'd expect them to have some form of running game, and they don't. They've always had a much more rock maul pickup. That's a cultural thing because the country's picked for. That's that's what I'm saying. It's what I'm saying. But in France, what you've seen is how important the coach is, because surely you have these players coming from the south of France, where it's quite dry, who meet a coach who simply has no idea what he's doing, as we've seen with Saint Andre. And it doesn't matter how good your weather is, how many skill set is. It's based on what game plan are you going out with and he gave them no game plan and they didn't know what to do yeah but it also comes to the fact that the top 14 they play far too much rugby they play something like 40 games a year as against 25 games in the southern hemisphere so like it becomes a different game it becomes you have to be bigger guys the time that we had to lose here first like I was excited about it and there was a huge crowd but I remember when they ran on the field I went oh my god it's like looking at a team of props because they were all massive and I was really disappointed I was just seeing how big they were, but then because of the, the, the uh, attritional nature of their game, not the weather, the attritional nature of playing too much rugby because they want rugby to be played like soccer where you play it every week and you can't possibly do that. Now, the game has changed and they now have bigger squads and they now have a home squad and an away squad, which means they can slim guys back down and actually play some decent rugby while they're doing it. But it does come from the coaches in the, in the, and I suppose it's the same as the Six Nations. You have to win. It doesn't matter. Just win, just win, just win. So just William started this this section of the podcast wondering if, if Joe Schmidt comes about comes at it and the lads come at it and go, 
these are the players I have. What is your thinking on that, Alan? What, what, what do you think about, like, whether, whether Joe Schmidt has taught to himself these guys can't do what New Zealanders can do? I think he, they, he thinks they can't do it at a higher level. He did it with Leinster and said, right, the first thing... Cause the first thing remember the rugby said, they played? They played, they played rugby. But he said the first thing he was going to do was make them the best passing team in Europe. Yeah. And he also, if you remember the time we, we, we were up at one of those press conference yeah. things and he said one of the first things that happened in Leinster, when he came in, they had just won the Heineken Cup. Oh, I love And they, yeah. they brought that magic, the Leinster blue magic was their logo. Or was their, their new theme for the marketing, year, marketing theme for the year, or their slogan for the year. And the first thing he said was, get rid of it. Not having anything to do with it. It's got nothing to do with magic. It's all about hard work. And that's what he's, he's bringing. And, and he's trying to learn. Like the, the, I'll be un, unbelievably disappointed with, with Schmidt. And I'll start railing against him if he keeps picking Leinster players. Mm. If he keeps picking, you know, he went, even over the World Cup, he went back to Isaac, uh, Isaac Boss, Reese Ruddock, um, he brought yeah, okay. He played Jordy Murphy, whatever. But he, when he went outside the thing, he okay. went back to the Leinster yeah. guys. Oh, yeah. He has to let that go now and start looking back at everybody on a you know any, look, any level. Look at the field. Ulster players that have come through over the last uh, and myself and yourself both feel that Paddy Jackson didn't get a, get, get the look he probably deserved. Ian Keatley is another example. I mean, Keatley could have maybe he'd only be eighty percent of a Johnny Sexton, but at least you're getting the same type of out half into the system like. Well, he, I mean, Keely wants the game, wants the Six Nations game this year. So I mean, I, I agree with Alan in the sense that uh, uh, he does. I mean, you could almost put it, once Jared Payne went down, he went, he's going to go back to Leicester. Um, suppose he picked Boss, thought he might go for Ferguson McFadden, but he knew he was going to be a Leicester player. Um, can he do it? Can he? Can to answer William's question, I think in theory there's nothing stopping him because I go back to the Argentinians. The Argentinians came with, were a completely different team two years ago in terms of what, what their game plan was. Now, he has definitely brought back players. They are definitely massively advantaged by the fact they're now all going back en masse to play in the, in the, in the Super 15. But the raw talent is there. It's how you utilise it. And... Yeah, sometimes some players will fall by the wayside. Some players will come through we're not even considering right now. It depends on the mindset. It is there are two things we do. Do we have the the fundamental raw talent? Yes. Can we get them up to the pace of doing it well at the level of New Zealand? That's the question. That will show how good Schmidt is. I think the only advantage Argentina have results don't matter. They certainly weren't mattering for a number of years in the rugby championship. Mm-hmm. Schmidt's operating in a different environment. It's oh, about yeah. it's about winning. There's yeah, no, yeah. I mean, it was, and that's the rugby public in Ireland. Leaving aside the the wider the wider kind of support base which has come in here, the rugby public won Six Nations titles. Me and you don't, Alan, but we're in a minority. No, 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 no. no, no. And this is this is where it gets very frustrating for me. It's the IRFU. It's the it's the guys who are running the money who want the the titles. And the reason the reason that you, you, they said it is they need to make sure they fill Lansdowne Road. They were filling Lansdowne Road all through the nineties when we were crap. We were worse than Scotland have ever been. Yeah, but it's still we still filled Lansdowne Road, which means we still had the money I coming in. I completely agree that the IRFU are driving this and the corporate side is driving this. Exactly. But what's worrying me is the vast majority of supporters. Uh, and William, maybe you'll back me up on this, I totally won Six Nations titles too. All the rugby people I know, and I'm not, not necessarily talking about the grassroots rugby guys who've long switched, since switched off international rugby, but they're in the minority. The rugby people who just have, oh, my dad took me to internationals. They won Six Nations titles. They won triple crowns, for God's sake. Uh, well, I would take a Six Nations title over a Rugby World Cup semi-final. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not. But, like, I understand in, in the context of, of over time you know, in a normal situation, because we've never, ever progressed to the World Cup semi-final, it means way more to me than the Six Nations title. 
but so you mean winning one match is more important? Just just to show some progress against Southern Hemisphere teams. I'll tell you one thing. If you gave me a Test Series win down in South Africa this next summer over a Six Nations title, I'd snap your hands off. That won't happen. Well, why not? Because we won't play a Test Series in South Africa. We've never won a Test match in South Africa. Yeah, but what about what about what I'm saying? Our argument is based on the fact that which would we prefer? I'd much prefer that. You disagree? You wouldn't prefer that? Yeah, because I think, to me, that's just a friendly rugby international. That's the same as the November international. Well, that's the same as the November games. Yeah, but they're still huge. If we beat New Zealand, it would have been... The reason why people said it was like what, being a Mayo fan for a day is because people <laughs> wanted that New Zealand win so much. The want was so much because we wanted to beat them once. I want to win down in South Africa way more than I want to win the Six Nations next year. Oh. But what I'm trying to say is I want to see Ireland as a rugby nation for the first time in my lifetime progress in terms of making ground against the top three teams, the Southern Hemisphere teams. Just in this case... In this case, I'm talking about South Africa, Australia and New Zealand. I'm sorry, Argentina, but you didn't nail it yesterday. You still have a bit but, to go. But, we but, but we're not progressing. And if we, we win the we, Test we, Series we, down there, we we've are. We've beaten both South Africa and Australia in the last five years. doesn't matter. That's so home internationals against November. Oh, oh, oh. That completely negates your point about the fact that it matters. If you just say to us beating Australia and South Africa, doesn't matter. No, no, no. What I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, we can, I'm going to make my point still, because I, I stand by that point. It doesn't matter, because that we consistently pick off one over my lifetime in rugby. We consistently win the odd November international against either mostly South Africa, sometimes Australia. Consistently, once in every four attempts, right? That's why I'm saying it doesn't matter. In the sense, in the sense, the record is better than that. Right, fair enough. But what I'm saying is, home wins against Australia and South Africa to me don't matter as much as if we can go down to one of those places and win a bloody Test match, or or get to a World Cup semi final where we're actually progressing against these teams. That's where we don't do it. And my my thing with uh, against winning the Six Nations, the Six Nations has you know statistically is now proven to be tier two rugby, and winning so winning the tier ah, two thing tier is rugby. is not the same as as winning uh, no, beating a no, tier no, one. No, in no, the no. only time we played them in a competitive game, well, I mean competitive in a competitive in a, in a competition, every Test match is a Test match. It doesn't matter who you're playing against; it's a Test match. It's at the highest level you can possibly be playing at that time. Yeah. So they are important, but a World Cup is just that next level up and. The whole of the Northern Hemisphere has to stand up. The whole of the Six Nations has to stand up and really start working on this. I think the reason, there's also a fundamental reason why we don't beat New Zealand in New Zealand is that we never take a full-strength team to New Zealand. There's always, because it's at the end of the season, there's always at least five guys. And that's going to happen this year. And that's going to happen this year. But also, to a certain degree, we'll have a relatively... I I, I understand if we don't don't win this the next, in January, certain, sorry, the next Six Nations, 2016 Six Nations, certain people in Irish rugby will be disgusted. I don't think it matters this one. We're losing... We- but what matters then? If that no, doesn't no, matter, no, surely no, no, South Africa matters. Well, Something that's, has to matter. You see, this but is... But right. I mean, I mean, what I mean is that if we now... We should now look at this all as part of a four-year plan to Japan. And that means we start now... Which means that we shouldn't necessarily... We should be trying to win every single time we go out into the pitch, irrespective yeah, of the opposition. That's fine. Yeah, but if we lose, if we if in the in, if in making sure we are in our best position to beat the South Africans, the other four, the four Southern Hemisphere nations in Japan in four years' time, if that means that along the way we have to take the bumps of losing Six Nations and getting hammerings and hammerings down under, we take that, we accept that as long as it's part of a process. Instead of taking them as one, instead of losing these games and losing these championships and regarding it as the as, as disasters, and we always need to. I agree. That's what I'm saying. I agree. 
But and, and when it comes to Six Nations, I am not, I'm not looking like, I think it was a Tony Ward who was saying, abandon the Six Nations. I want to be really clear. Mm. I am not saying that. I, even, I only want to see a couple of players eased in per game max. I want to see, we, we have to try and win every game. But I just want to see us aim at things outside of the Six Nations as well. Well, the, the problem is, the main aim has to be the championship you play in. I, I, I know these games, okay, I call them friendlies. That's... No, no, that's a bad word. Matches. That's a bad word. What, what so go, separates I'll, rugby from soccer? Yeah. I'll go back to test. I'll call them test matches. Yeah. But we go to South Africa at the end of our season for three test matches. Now they will be bringing in new players. They'll be having a big clear out after this World Cup, so they'll be setting up and starting again in those three games. They won't play test rugby. Very winnable games. But the, you are when they come up here in November, they're at the end of their season. So it's the World Cup is where the the real. But you want to, like, Alan, if, 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 if Joe Schmidt went down the road you're talking about, looked into Munster, looked into Connacht, God forbid, and looked into Ulster and started asking some questions and bringing some players in, if we go down, that, that will help us get to South Africa with the eight to ten players who've gone through the World Cup cycle who've broken down at that stage because they've played too much rugby, we were replaced by eight or ten players who have at least got a bit of Six Nations experience. Yeah, and you have to look at the situation where, you know, Johnny Sexton is 30 years of age. So he's not going to be there in four years' time. The only way he'll do it is if he does what, what um, New Zealand did with, with Dan Carter and gave him 18 months off and said, stop. No, was he? Yeah. <laughs> he did. He got 18 months off and was told, stop. Speaking of which, this is complete aside, but uh, Rhys Priestland is taking 18 months off for Wales, but that may not necessarily have to do it for prolonging his career till the next World Cup. That's to do with money and playing Premiership rugby. <laughs> yeah. As long as we'll explain it in the other podcast. Okay, well, we got to move on, and I hope that was entertaining for you because we're, we're fired up. There's lots of other stuff which we'll talk about next week. We could talk about the media reaction to this. We also want to oh, talk about. Oh, can I? That's my. That's your rant, yeah. Bring it. One thing that's coming up next week is we're going to do a little feature on the possibility of Ireland hosting a World Cup. Can't believe the competition is has, is almost over, but at the same time, can't remember when it started. It's one of those things. Rant time. Yeah. Alan's Rant up. Time would be uh, BBC. Do they have to say their rugby coverage on their podcast is is excellent during the week? They got a Kiwi, an Australian, and a South African um, journalist in, and they were asked for their highlights. And all three of them said the highlight was Japan. Even the South African guy said it was Japan. And all three agreed that the lowlights was the BBC commentator's reaction to Joubert running off the field. That Gavin Gavin Hastings and uh, oh the scrum half English scrum half uh, Dawson Matt Dawson how they reacted was just a disgrace Brilliant. absolute and utter disgrace and they they called it as exactly what it was and it would be my rant the BBC as well. were happy to have them on to do that which is good yeah it was it was brilliant for for the BBC and my rant is is at the fact that those guys as I say I listen to the podcast you know I put the podcast on trying yeah, to fall asleep week, yeah. and you know twenty minutes in they're still going on about you bear yeah. and two days later they're still going on about you bear and you're thinking. Jeez, get over it, will you? Not to mention, and I, what I love about William's first point, which wasn't really about Scotland, but he just kind of threw it in there, which was that idea. And it's like that. If I had a rant, this would be it. But it's done already. It was just when a lineout is botched as badly as that by a group of forwards for your national team, and you decide to say the only reason why you lost is because referee made what was an error, but an understandable error in first view, <laughs> an error nonetheless. It was just, I was, it was disgraceful. Some of the reaction from Scottish rugby people. I'm sure there's lots of good Scottish rugby people who are disgusted. That, that, was, that was part of the podcast. Apparently he had quarter of a second to make that decision. And I remember looking at that as I watched it live thinking, penalty. Yeah. Yeah. My first gut reaction, penalty. 
and that was most people's gut reaction. Yeah. And even someone, one of the guys was one of the English players. I there was someone, some player who was at the match who went penalty. Mm. You know, so the ref got it right in the, the yeah. in, in the fact that you know live it was a penalty. It's it's everything that went after it was and, and I don't care whether you made the wrong decision not running off the pitch uh, in that manner. Uh, if 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 the lads highlight it the way they do, it'll become a thing. And if we don't respect referees, the game is absolutely oh, yeah, done yeah. and dusted because yeah. it's just too dangerous a game to to not have a man in the middle who can make decisions. Anyone else want to jump up for the second round? Who's up? Dave, you're up. Oh, it's not really up, enough for me. I think Alan's more or less covered it all. The only thing is, I will say is that if uh, South Africans start ranting. About about the uh, the bad decision about uh, Matt, Matfield's uh, neck roll, I would like to point out you had two line outs that you botched up, not one. Scotland only botched up one. Um, uh, just a corollary: um, whether Joubert made a mistake or not, don't come out and say as the official body he made a mistake. You've just basically ended that guy's career. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think I think you've saved his career. Because you've actually put drawn a line in the sand and said he made a mistake and he can he can be appointed now, yes or no. Okay. But I think if they hadn't said that, it would still be rumbling on now. Okay. I think they had to clarify it. Okay. And I suspect the slight problem is going to be the way to fix that will be my slight rant: more TMO activity. Oh. <laughs> is that it? We, we can just imagine the rest of that rant from, from William. <laughs> They're just going to be coming in going, lads, uh, uh, just, can you check that again? You said it was heads. I think it was tails. <laughs> On that bombshell, we're out of here. We'll be back for the World Cup final podcast where we review New Zealand's great win or Australia's great win. Oh, hang on a second. Uh, the lads are looking at me. They're wondering, lads, we've just done the World Cup just preview sorry. podcast and not one of us have said who's going to win the final. The bronze final. Yeah, Argentina. <laughs> well, actually... The bronze final could actually be a, a much better game. Yeah, but they're calling it the yeah, bronze final. The bronze final. In the Olympics? Uh, well, it's in the Olympic Stadium, the West Ham Olympic Stadium. Uh, <laughs> let it go. Late in Orient. What happened to them? Who? Uh, oh. <laughs> um, John Lacey's refereeing it. Look, I think it'll actually what? be... Oh, God. He's got the bronze final. Well, fair play. Yeah. Um, I think it is. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> we, we don't do faces on podcasts, but yeah, William's yeah. reaction was quite good. Um, I think it'll be a much better game than people expect. I think Argentina will be up for it. I, I don't think they'll look on it as a non-event, and a lot of South Africans are going to be coming to the end of their careers. So, and not in a bad way, but just they're reaching the end. They're reaching retirement situation. It might actually be, dare I say this, a better game than the final oh, will be. Who's going to win the final? Australia. All right. And I know we haven't dissected the final in great detail, but I think you'll appreciate, the listeners will appreciate where we were coming from and what we wanted to talk about. New Zealand, Australia? Well, first was the bronze final, because have you seen some of the wags? And secondly, um, New New Zealand, because I just think they have a better 10. I seem to be uh, listening to this podcast in slow motion because I've just realised William has predicted Australia to beat New Zealand. Anyways, moving on, Dave. Yeah, you can. You're not Dave, you're Alan. How did I manage that? Alan! I don't believe you can win a World Cup without a 10 and I don't believe Australia have a 10. Okay. So Alan predicts New Zealand. I shall predict the New Zealand as well, but you know what I think is going to happen? I think it's going to extra time. I've called it. All right, folks. Oh, hang on, Dave, one more point. Just one quick question. And I'm genuinely, this is genuinely lack of knowledge on my part. What happens if it ends in a draw after extra time? Penalty shootout, I presume? A penalty shootout with a penalty from straight in front of the posts and out on the two corners, corner flags on the 22 metre line. And that's repeated until you get a winner. But by which stage the Connacht match will actually be over? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
you don't know what that's about, tune into Craigie Island Rugby, which is also on this stream. Thanks, folks. Bye. Excellent. Good one.